Thank you for listening to this teaching from Table Church. We're in our Advent series right now called How to Hope Again. Now it's been said that we live in a hope-sick world. That means that hope is hard to find and it's evident in everything from our emotional lives to our political discourse. We need to learn how to hope again. And there's no better time than Christmas. So if you're near the Des Moines area this holiday season, we'd love to have you join us at our Christmas Eve service. It'll be at 6 p.m. at the Des Moines Community Playhouse. You can learn more at tablechurchdsm.org. Now, please enjoy this week's message. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's great to see you all here tonight. Thank you for coming and joining us. Look, I know it's cold in here. Uh, Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about it. So we're just going to have to snuggle up and get close. Um, Hey, if you have a Bible, would you open with me to Isaiah uh, chapter 8? We'll be looking at verses 19 through the end of the chapter, and then chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. The words will be on the screen above me. But I just want to read you this text, and we're going to talk about it a little bit tonight. It says, when someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, Should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness." Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Well, as we get going here tonight, um, I just, first of all, I want to make sure, did everybody find their, their child? Okay, Awesome. Um, also, I want to refer back to what Megan shared earlier and Moses as well, that tonight our offering is going to uh, an organization called Rising Daisies. Moses is the founder of Rising Daisies. He's also the, one of the mission directors here at Table Church. And, um, and so if you want to bless some kids, uh, secondary students across the globe in Kenya, this is your chance to do that. And so not only, the, not only the money or the checks that's put in the buckets tonight will go to that, but actually anything that we w- brought in, that we bring in like over the next week that would be going to tomorrow's offering. If we were to have service tomorrow, will be donated to Rising Daisies. I hope that made sense. Um, so if we were to have church tomorrow, which by the way, we're not having services tomorrow morning, that offering is going to go as well. Anything that's set up for direct deposit tithing. So I want to begin with a story written by my son, Rowan. He is in kindergarten. It's called The Three Bears. Rowan was pretty proud of it. In fact, he had his mom type it and print it and put it on the refrigerator. Now you have to hang on to the end because there's a twist. Here's what it says. Once upon a time, there was a mom bear, a dad bear, and a little tiny cub bear. One day, the cub went out to explore the forest. The mom and dad bears came looking for the cub. They couldn't find him anywhere. The little cub was already gone out in the cold winter day. Luckily, they found him with Santa. The end. (laughs) I told you. He wrote that like in July, too. 
You know, uh, thinkers have pointed out that human beings are story dependent. We need stories in our lives. We must be able to, what it means is we must be able to make sense of the events in our lives. That's what a story is. A story is simply an account of events that ties those events together and gives them a direction, a meaning, a purpose, an end, or a goal. A story, whether it's true or not, is going somewhere, it's driving towards a conclusion, and that conclusion is what gives purpose to everything that came before. In fact, without these things, a story would simply be a series of random events. In a good story, sometimes there's things in the story that you're not quite sure how they fit in, but then when you get to the end, you're like, oh, that's what that meant. The end gives it purpose. Listen, purpose is the ability to see ourselves as part of a greater story. That's what purpose in life is. It's the ability to see yourself as part of a greater story. Humans require purpose. It's one of the things, the basic things we need to flourish. And that means that we require story. I don't mean that we need to tell fairy tales, although I do think that they might play a crucial role in our development, in fact. Rather, I mean that we must understand ourselves as part of a movement that has meaning. This whole thing we call the cosmos, reality, has to be going somewhere. It must be driving towards something. We have to understand ourselves as part of a greater story. Otherwise, our lives are simply a series of random events. And yet, that is precisely what studies are finding to be the case more and more. People today are having a harder time finding purpose and meaning in their lives. There's a psychologist named Richard Beck, and he has the word hope sickness. Hope sickness, that's what he applies to our culture today. We're suffering from hope sickness. And, and that's a word that defi- or describes um, our inability to find purpose and hope and meaning in our lives today. Depending on the demographic you look at, studies show that in the last decade, deaths of despair, so suicides and overdoses, what they call deaths of despair, have increased by anywhere from 50 to 300% in just the last 10 years. See, deaths of despair are exactly what you would expect. They're suicides, overdoses, things that people do because they can't find or locate purpose in their lives anymore. And this is happening in an age of significant material wealth, which just shows us that Having things and having money doesn't actually provide purpose in your life. So how did we get here? There's a theologian named Robert Jensen. I think he puts his finger on the problem we face. He says, modernity was defined by the attempt to live in a universal story without a universal storyteller. The experiment has failed. It is after the fact obvious that it had to. If there is no universal storyteller, then the universe can have no storyline. And let's try, try as hard as we can to generate our own story from kind of within. The statistics show that it's not working so well. We try very hard to remove any meaning from God, but pr- the problem with that, according to Jensen, is that when, when God loses meaning, so do we. Every year we come to this time called Christmas, and it is an opportunity to remind ourselves that we exist within the grandest story of all. It is the story of God's unfathomable plan to redeem a broken world. Now, the ancients had no problem seeing themselves as part of a story. In this text that we just read together, it was written by the prophet Isaiah probably 4,000 years ago. And he was saying, in this text, he was saying, look, even though God's people had turned to all sorts of evil things, that God was going to come rescue them. They were part of a story. There's going to be a conclusion that's going to bring purpose to the things that they were experiencing. 
their story was going somewhere in spite of everything, in spite of how it looked. And so he paints this picture of a people who are so wicked that they turn to idols, they curse their God, they're just like walking around angry all the time. And then there's this word in our English translation that I love. And it's the first word of chapter 9, verse 1. It's the word nevertheless. Read it with me. It says, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The past, in the past he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. And listen, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I love that word, nevertheless. That word is dripping with hope. See, these people, it says they, they've turned to witchcraft, you know. They've, they've done all manner of evil things. Then they've blamed God for it. Nevertheless, God is bringing, he's bringing their distress to an end. And a thousand years later, a couple of writers named Matthew and Luke would quote Isaiah's words here in order to point out that through the birth of this baby named Jesus, that stuff that Isaiah was talking about is happening now that God's promise to redeem his people was happening now. Listen, Christians are the ones who can always say nevertheless. The Bible shows us there's never so much darkness that it, ne it, it never gets so bad that God's like, oh, okay, I'm not going there. There's always an opportunity for nevertheless to occur. In fact, there's three things I want to mention about this word nevertheless that we see in this text. And the first one is this, the nevertheless is for mess-ups. Nevertheless requires an unlikely case in order to be, to make sense. Nevertheless means that in spite of how things look, the opposite is actually true. Look, we wouldn't say, hey, that guy's the best golfer in the league. Nevertheless, he's winning. Like, that's, not, that's not a good use of the word nevertheless. Nevertheless only makes sense when the opposite of what you'd expect is actually happening. That means that for people who are perfect, like nevertheless doesn't work. You know? You don't need nevertheless if you've got it all together. But for those of us who know what a mess we actually are, the nev nevertheless, that's for us. For people whose hearts are shattered, whose lives are a mess, who can't stop that destructive habit, or who just made one awful choice, the nevertheless is for you. This says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Now notice that the light is only seen when you're in darkness already. That's the only time it makes sense. And so I'll say it again, the nevertheless is for the mess-ups. It's for anyone else, they wouldn't need it. Jesus came to save sinners. The second thing to know is that the nevertheless is for here and now. It's for here and now. Imagine with me a story, a story where some people were languishing in slavery or oppression. By all appearances, all hope was lost. And then the narrator comes on and he says, and help was a distant and remote possibility. And if it ever did come, it likely wouldn't be particularly helpful the end. Like we'd be like, no, that, that's not a good story. Help has to be for here and now. We want to hear the words, help was on the way. Nevertheless means that help is on the way. The Christmas story is about, about an oppressed nation. It's about a political refugee. It's about some peasant farmers. And the message of the Gospels is, is not that help would come to them one day. What did the angels say to the shepherds? They said, no, it has come now. It has come now. Christmas is supposed to be a revolution against whatever holds people in bondage, but instead we've, turned it, we've made it sappy and sentimental. Christmas should remind us that when God comes in the flesh, he means business. He comes to do something. It's our yearly wake-up call to kind of shake us from our spiritual slumber 
God has launched a revolution at Christmas and has invited us to join him. The nevertheless is for here and now. And finally, I want you to know this. The nevertheless is for you. Whatever your story is telling, Christmas shows us that there's always time for your nevertheless moment. Whatever you've done, whatever you can't seem to stop doing, however, however messed up or broken it may seem, in spite of all that, there's always a chance for your nevertheless moment. Uh, my favorite philosopher, Zorn Kierkegaard, he wrote a story. He talks about how many people find Christianity offensive. And he says it's offensive for two reasons. On the one hand, some people are offended by Christianity because they're like, wait, I don't need to be forgiven. You know, don't tell me I need to be forgiven. Who are you to tell me that I need to be forgiven? And so they're offended. This is to be offended by the, the darkness of Christianity. It's the message that we're all sinners, that we're all broken, that we all need saving. But there's another kind of offense as well. It's where we are offended not at the darkness of Christianity, but at the brilliance of it. Kierkegaard says the real reason that men are offended by Christianity is that it's too high because his goal is not man's goal because it wants to make man into something so extraordinary that he cannot grasp the thought. And then he goes on to tell the story of a king who decides he wants a certain peasant to marry his daughter, the princess. And this peasant man would become the prince if he marries the princess. And so he calls this peasant into his courts and he says, young man, I've chosen you to marry the princess and to become a prince. Now this man, this peasant, uh, he would immediately assume that it's some sort of practical joke. He'd say, there, there's, what? There's no way this could be true. He, he would assume that the king is actually trying to make a fool out of him. That as soon as he says, okay, that then all the townspeople were going to burst into the room laughing at him. That's what he would assume. And so he's offended. In other words, sometimes we're too proud to accept God's great nevertheless for us. Sometimes we can't imagine that it could possibly be true. That something that wonderful could be true for us. That God actually loves us and wants to redeem us and wants to restore us and wants to free us. Sometimes we just can't believe that it's true. But Christmas is God's eternal nevertheless. Extended to me and extended to you. And he extends it to all of us tonight. God can turn your life around. God can do something greater than you can ask or imagine. And he can bring you into his great story and give your life infinite purpose. You have a purpose. And tonight is the night that we're reminded of it. And so as we do that, would you just bow your heads with me? Let's pray together. Oh God, we know that um, sometimes it's difficult to believe that uh, you have come. Sometimes maybe we take it for granted too much. Sometimes we just forget how magnificent it is. And so well, either side of that coin, God, we ask that you would strike us once again with how incredible it is, the truth that you are here, that you have come. And God, for anybody here tonight who needs to know that story, who needs to step into that story, would you give them the courage to do it? Lord, we're grateful for all that you've done for us. And we just offer all of this to you as a sacrifice of praise. We love you, Jesus, in your name.